This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Woke up this morning into my car to start my day. First stop is my buyer, who six months ago walked away. When I arrived, he treats me like a commodity. Give me a speck on his inner connect, he wants price and delivery. And if we're over $20, he tells me this business we're gonna lose. He's got a singing that old, don't know value. Welcome, everybody, to the Value Clarity Podcast, where we talk about customer-perceived value, which comes all from customer-perceived outcomes. I'm your host, Mark Boundy. Today, I am thrilled to have an old friend, Adam Kipnis. Adam, welcome. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate being here. Yeah. So Adam runs his own podcast, but his real gig, his real business is as a consultant for uh, businesses. Tell us about it, Adam. Yes. Uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because I'm, I've been consulting my whole life. I just didn't know what consulting really was or, or how to do it. And um, through that, it became an opportunity to help people. Like all I was doing was answering questions that people had and needs that they had. And I've created a way to ask questions, to elicit more questions and more people to think about their business, give me an opportunity to serve them deeper and help them um, more specifically rather than I've got a question to how can I transform my business? That's how it all really came about. So is is there a, a, an area that you spend a lot of your time? Is it strategy? Is it business? Is it process? Is it um, sales? You know, my, my, my area, where do you like to focus a lot of your time and energy and where do you add the most value? Well, in true consultant for, uh, formula, it depends. But mostly it's strategic. I think strategically, that's just how my brain works. So everything for me starts with a strategy and using that strategy to come to the outcomes that are necessary and then building the steps to take that strategy and meet those outcomes. So everything is strategic based in the way my brain works. Yeah. And so a lot of businesses, they want to think strategically, but then they get a strategy and then their strategy is a three ring binder that on a shelf gathering dust. <laughs> and, um, so I, strategy gets a bad word with, you know, is a bad word or gets a bad taste with a lot of people. How are you different? Number one, the strategy has to be something that everyone buys into. And that's one of the biggest challenges, whether your business is big or small, if it's more than one, <laughs> Not always do strategies incorporate everybody else's skill set, everybody else's talents, everybody else's work. And so the strategy has to encompass everybody, but also has to have buy-in from everybody. The second thing is, if it's more than a page, people aren't going to look at it. It doesn't trigger anything in your brain to say, I want to review it. If you have even a three-page document, you're not going to flip through it every day. You're going to look at the, at the thing in front of you and stick to that. So. 
At the end of my programs and working with clients, they get everything on one page. So they know what they're doing, who they're doing it for, and why they're doing it all on that one page. Because we're busy, our attention span is short, and you can't spend a half an hour every day reviewing what you're supposed to do that day. So one page is where I like to keep it. And it allows people to glance, right? You take a quick glance at it. It triggers your memory. Bam, I know what I'm doing and they get off to work. Um, man, there's a lot to unpack there. Uh, <laughs> there, there really is because uh, the first thing is keep it simple. Make it, make it visceral for everybody. Make sure everybody can stay connected to their role to how the, to the strategy. Um, and a lot of people don't do that. They, they think strategy happens above my level and I don't know what my job is and how my job connects to that. So um, when you say everybody's involved, tell me more about that because I think that's super important. Yes. And part of it is involved. If they're involved in the process, they'll be involved in the outcome. Right. A lot of times strategy is delivered to people rather than incorporating people. So that's number one. If they're incorporated and they can say yes or no to certain parts of the strategy, they're going to be more invested in it because they feel like they helped create it. Plus, it provides value to them as employees. The second thing is a lot of employees don't know how important they are to the business. They know they have a job to do but they don't necessarily know my job contributes to the success of the business because of A, B, and C. And something you and I had talked about in the past, one of my clients, um, we were doing a two-day strategy offsite where we literally locked them in a room, took their phones away, and whiteboarded out the next three years of their business. And as we were going into the, the first session, I said to um, the receptionist at the front desk, I told her to come to the meeting. And she said, well, I'm not in that meeting. I said, yeah, you are. And the owner of the company, who was really the visionary and figurehead and founder and creator and head of sales and everything, he said, well, she's not in this meeting. And I said, yes, she is. It's like, well, who's going to answer the phones? Like, it can roll to voicemail for the next hour and a half until we take a break. Then she can check to see if anything important came in, but she needs to be in here. And both of them came into the meeting you know, arms crossed, a little bit skeptical as to what, what was going on and why um, she was in this meeting specifically. And as we talked through the overall goal of the business, and really this is in the first half an hour, we discussed her role in the business and especially in the sales portion. So as the receptionist, she's the first voice that anyone ever hears. She's the first person that anyone ever sees. And when someone comes in for a meeting into the office and they sit in the waiting room and picture yourself going into the doctor's office and you're sitting in the waiting room and it's an excruciating 10 minutes while you're reading an old people magazine and there's somebody in the room, but there's no interaction and you just can't wait until your meeting starts. Well, if that's the, the case, how likely is that person to want to come back? So once she knew that that was as important to the sales process as everything else, she started to get it. And when someone leaves your office, it's the last person that they see. So how she interacts with them on the way out the door is critical. And she began to see that sales starts and ends with her. She could kill a deal because people don't want to come to the office 
because they didn't want to talk to her or they were uncomfortable or it wasn't welcoming. Same thing being the first voice on the phone when, when she answered the phone. The interesting part was the next day she dressed better. She started asking questions about her role and what it meant for current client meetings or to prepare for meetings. And the owner of the company realized that, yes, yeah, she was an integral employee, but he wasn't utilizing her to her full value. And so that's just one small example of how important it is that everybody buys in. And, and second little piece, and, and then I, I know you got like a hundred questions. The second little piece is if you don't know the person's job, like the owner didn't really know what she did. She filed and she answered the phone, but she did a lot of other things in terms of her interaction. And the more he understood that, not only about her, but of his six other employees, there were things that they were doing he didn't know was important, so he didn't incorporate it into the strategy he was thinking of. And those were some of the ways that it really bubbled up and created a better business model for them because everyone got everything on the table, good and bad. Yeah. So you, I think that's a fantastic story and it really articulates being able to connect everybody's value to the customer and um, to, to their value to the strategy. And it helps people, it helps those in strategic positions understand all the pieces and parts and get a, a more um, a more comprehensive look at their business so that they can think strategically at a at a deeper, better, more productive level. There's something that I'm working on in my business this with the mediocrities thing, talking about with a lot of leaders about employer retention. Now, imagine this person as the receptionist and her level of job satisfaction uh, in the days, weeks, and months before she walked into that meeting with her arms crossed. Her connection to her job, her feeling of connection to that company, her loyalty to that job, her desire to stay in that job. And now think of how hard it is to replace people, even the the receptionists in those kind of jobs and so there's there's two halves of that i mean we you you articulated really well the value to the company and to the leader but there's also a value to every one of your workers which turns into value for your company in terms of um making sure that there's no wasted effort there's no wasted time there's no wasted people a, a thousand percent you and this is not specific to her. This is true of many jobs of all levels. If you come in and you do your job, whether it's putting, you know, bolts on a tire or whether it's making a widget or whether it's answering the phone or whether it's closing multi-million dollar deals, if that's what you do and your sole purpose is that thing, one, it gets old, right? It's repetitive. We see this a lot in real estate. People get into real estate, but all they do is show houses and hope someone buys. Show houses and hope someone buys. If they don't really build relationships in the community and with the title company and with the mortgage brokers, they tend not to last. A receptionist is a perfect example. If all they're doing is answering the phone and they don't have a tie to, I answer the phone and business gets done and we grow and everybody wins, it's really hard for them to want to stay. And it's a hard job to replace because it's a new voice on the phone. And so she came in with a pep in her step because she knew 
I am integral to this company's success versus I'm going in to answer the phone. And, and the next step of that is when she goes out, right? She's with her friends, she's with her family, she's doing whatever outside of the office. Instead of saying, oh, I'm the receptionist at XYZ firm. She now can think about it in a different way and her words change because her attitude changed. So it's critical to ask your employees, does this work? Is this helpful? Is if it's not, okay, what would be more helpful? And it, it, it's a game changer just by engaging. And usually it's not the leader's fault, right? If you're running a business, you're going in a lot of different directions and they've got a job and they're doing it. Fantastic. It's working for the business. Rather than continuing to grow that role, this particular person got two raises and promoted in the next 18 months after that meeting. Yeah, Adam, respectfully, I'm going to disagree. You said it's not the leader's fault. Okay. <laughs> and you know where I, you know where I'm going because it's it's always the leader's fault. Now that's that is very true. All right. But here's here's the problem. And here's kind of, you know, you're 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 actually opening the can of worms that we're swimming in with mediocrity, is that I learned this business the you know, the way I learned it. I learned this business from an old guy who learned it from a dead guy. This is the way we do things around here. We compartmentalize our business and that's fine as long as you compart you the way you compartmentalized was perfect and there are no cracks for stuff to fall through. And it really is the leader's job to figure out what cracks did I just create for stuff to fall into, what things could fall into them and how do I guard against that? And um it is those. It is what isn't said that is oftentimes the most interesting evidence. So, um, I, I completely agree with you, except you let <laughs> you let leaders off the hook um, by allowing them to think of business the way they learned business, not the way business really has to be conducted now and in the future. And and um, I'll I'll go one further and say that is because the world is changing. Labor supply and labor demand have been moving in opposite directions longer than anybody listening to this podcast has been alive. And all of the way we structure work, the way we divide work, the way we hire people, the way we discipline people, the way we employ people, the way we replace people, the way we fail to coach them and replace them instead, all of that is based on the assumption that there's lots of extra workers out there. And that assumption's not true anymore. You know, it, it, it's interesting to think about, one, because now you still have me thinking about the fact I stepped in a little bit with the, it's not the leader's fault, knowing that everything is the leader's fault, because if you're not asking questions, you're, you don't know what solutions you need, right? Um, and when things are good, a lot of people don't worry about great because they don't know what great looks like yet. And so um, that part, um, is is still so critical and but on the the labor side of it we're seeing it right now where people can't hire i talk to business owners every day and almost every one of them wants to hire but isn't finding the talent that they're looking for and so they they don't hire but they're at risk of losing employees so how do you keep them and um you know obviously people who engage me are doing the one important thing, which is saying, I think I need more. 
what more looks like, they don't know. And I don't necessarily know coming in, coming into a working relationship, but they're saying any more. There's a ton of businesses out there where they're not saying that, yeah. right? Things are going, especially now, capacity constraints because they can't hire. Uh, volumes are up. Business is good. Uh, we'll see what, what continues with the economy, yeah. but things are really good. So they're not taking a step back and saying, all right, what do I need to be thinking about? What questions do I need to be asking to know how to treat their employees better? And, and more so, do they know if their employees are happy, right? You can do large companies do engagement sur surveys every year. Does that mean their employees are happy? Large companies are losing 10 to 15% of their employees to retirement, to new jobs, and it's not always because of a bigger paycheck. And it's not because they're unhappy. It's they found something better or different that their employer wasn't willing to offer because they were sort of pigeonholed into a role because everybody's busy and there was no time to think about more. Yeah. And, and yes, that's leadership's fault. But let's play. A, let's I'll let you off the hook semantically and say, yes, it's the leader's fault. But we absolutely understand the mental process that put them there, right? Correct. They, they, in good faith, they tried to do business the way they were taught. It's just that the way they were taught was wrong, right? So um, yeah, the blind spot is their fault, but it's a certainly an understandable blind spot. You okay with that? I'm totally okay with that. And I'm totally okay for you calling me out because I think it's a really good lesson, not only for me, but for everybody listening and watching yeah. that... Um, as a leader, as a business owner, your job revolves around thinking differently tomorrow versus today yeah. in every way, in your sales cycle, in your hiring, in your operations, in your um, client development. It's going to be different tomorrow. And enough of those tomorrows get us from January to July of this year, where January Things were great. Interest rates were staying stagnant. They had hiring was great. Yes, there were some people that weren't coming to work, but the economy was going great. Six months later, a number of those today becomes tomorrow's become potential recession. And what do we do about it? Yeah. And it's easy to fall behind. It's yeah. really easy to fall behind. You know, I, um, I, it's you and I are so aligned that, and so I'm going to close the loop and then I'm going to go on to the next subject because you you engage everybody in the company in the strategy because I don't think it's the leader's job alone to find out what the changes are. Uh, I believe in, and you know, in my book, I wrote about the organization that move that learns from the customer in that everybody in the company is a sensory organ. It is no longer the way you know I learned it in business school where. It's leadership's job to stay abreast of the world and to see what's happening in the world and to design the change and then to deploy that change downward uh, and tell people how they're going to adapt to the change. That just is not, that's not workable anymore because the change is too fast. Um, we're all, organizations are too subdivided. So a leader can't possibly see all the changes and adapt to them. So we have to learn, change, and grow from the bottom up. It's management's job to coordinate all that mess. Correct. Correct. Um, so you and I had this great conversation a while back about a change you'd had, not in what you do, not in the value you add, 
but the way you describe it to your clients and you know it's the the 100 day challenges in, in case you didn't realize that so and you said there's a great origin story but i am maniacal about talking to customers and selling to customers in the language of a customer outcome and this 100 day challenge is exactly that so i love this thing so i want you to tell everybody about it it, it was an interesting thing because I've been working in a, a coaching and consulting space and, and there are differences between the two. Um, and I don't, I, I never positioned it one way or the other. Um, I sort of do both. I come up with consulting ideas and I work with my clients and then I coach them through. And so, so I do both, but unless you've already hired a consultant or you've already hired a coach, you don't necessarily know what the value is, what you're getting. And so it becomes this, it became this nebulous relationship that um, didn't necessarily resonate in large groups. One-on-one -on -one is a very different conversation for anything you're selling. But when you're telling your story, it, it becomes nebulous. Like, I don't really get it. Do I need it? And uh, then they don't do it, right? And, and so, so that's sort of where, where my business was. And uh, I've been thinking about, all right, not only do I need to position it better because the more people I work with, the more people I can help, the more people are, I help, you know, I get more money and or more karma or both, right? And so how can I get this word out better? How can I position myself better? But also what can that do for my business? And so it was Labor Day of 2020. And that weekend, right, it was a really long six months from, from March to September of 2020, we didn't know what, whether we were going to go back to the office ever. We didn't know how many people were going to die. We didn't know if this thing was going to end. It felt like it should end any day. And it just kept going and going. And here we are two years later, still living in, in some parts of the world in the same environment. But we were in this weird spot. And I was talking to people more than I'd ever done before. There were Zoom communities popping up all over the world where you could have as many people to talk to as you humanly wanted. That's what we met through one of these communities. I think we actually met prior in, in a, another life, but we connected over and over. In, in the these, before these times. Yeah. Right, the before times, <laughs> BC, with, you know, the new BC before COVID, right? And, but we met, you could have one-on-ones with 100 people a week if you wanted to, because people were craving conversation, they were craving interaction because they were in their homes. And so we're going through this period and I had a lot of first dates, right? And everyone had a lot of first dates because people weren't necessarily buying, people were figuring things out. So I needed a little bit better hook, but it was a little bit better hook that allowed people to see what they were going to get versus my knowledge. My knowledge is great, but that's not what people are buying. My knowledge better do something for them or else it's just really interesting information. Right. And so I was sitting there on that Sunday of Labor Day weekend, which is one of the two free days in the year. You've got the Sunday of Memorial Day and the Sunday of Labor Day, whether you are in corporate or small business or an entrepreneur. Those are the two days when people tend to play barbecues and have some cocktails and meet with the neighbors or travel like it's a free day because you get another one the next day on that Monday of the holiday. And. Of course, I was awake at you know six o'clock in the morning because that's what my body does. And I'm laying in bed saying, I've got this day to sleep in, but now I'm awake. And I said, I wonder how many days it is till Christmas. 
I don't know why, but that's what came to my head. So I asked Siri and I said, hey, Siri, how many days till Christmas? And she said, it's 110 days till Christmas. And like, okay, I can do something with that. So I said, 100 day program, 100 day process, 100 day challenge, 100 day this. And I ended up 100 day sprint. What if we do a 100 day sprint? And I'm not that creative. So I'm like, somebody's already doing this. So I go on to GoDaddy and $12.17 later, I now own 100daysprint.com. And I'm like, all right, what am I going to do with this? And so I created a Facebook group and I said, it's 110 days till Christmas. I want to give you all a week off between Christmas and New Year's. What do you want to accomplish between now and Christmas? And I've made the Facebook group 100 day sprint to Christmas. And I got, I don't know, about 200, 220 people joined the group and started just posting what they wanted to achieve. Some people it was workout, some people it was weight loss. Most of the people in my circle are, are business oriented. So they want to do something with their business. And they started posting around, I want to accomplish this, I want to accomplish that. And so then I did some videos on my process, which I already had. But now I use my process in how they could work through these hundred days until Christmas Day. And people started posting their results and adding their questions, and other people jumped in and gave some feedback. And so we built this little community, this little cohort of all people accomplishing something that they really wanted by Christmas Day. And that's where the, the model came from. And then I just made it more formulaic. But now when I go out, I talk to people about it. They know what it is, how long it is. Deadlines do matter. It built urgency within them. It made them think differently and more specifically about what they wanted because they had a constrained time frame, so they couldn't go off in different directions and squirrels and shiny pennies couldn't creep up because they only had a finite amount of time. And honestly, now when I tell people what I'm doing, they all say, all right, what can I accomplish in 100 days? Now, do they want Adam to help them or not? Obviously, I'd love it if they do. Not everybody has to, but now they're thinking differently and it just became a perfect package that now in every conversation, there's an opportunity for me to help people get better and for them to help themselves get better. So it's the exact same stuff you've always sold, the exact same knowledge, the exact same guy, the exact same skills, the exact same clients. Well, yes. hopefully some new ones, but you're <laughs> talking to them about an outcome. Here's what's going to happen. And here's how fast it's going to happen. Um, and that becomes so much more real in your prospective clients' minds that you're having a lot of success with it. I'm having a lot of success. And because, um, because my clients know what they're doing, they're more engaged and they push me harder to push them harder right back. Right. If, if you're working on a consulting engagement with no time frame, even or if it's a year, right? A year's a long time. A lot of stuff can happen. But if you've only got a hundred days to get something done, you're gonna push your employees to to do more because they now know what their job is for the next hundred days. They push me more to say, hey, when are we getting back on the phone? I can't wait a week. And so I built into the model a way for constant communication that allows them to get their job that doesn't suck all of my time, 
because I have multiple clients, plus I have other things to do. And now I've got a framework that works well for everybody and they know what they're getting. You know, I, years ago, I had a, a coach of my own that I hired and I was talking about going to an event, you know, and he used that word outcome. He said, well, you know, what outcome are you looking for? Well, I want to get some business cards, right? I want to get some prospects. And he, how many business cards? What type of person? How are you going to position the next thing? What are you going to do? Is it your business card or their business card? Right. And he starts peppering me with all these questions. And I was like, I'm just going to an hour and a half networking event to meet some people. But now I went in with an outcome in mind and I knew I wanted the business card of three people that were in a kickstart, jumpstart or restart portion of their business and that we were going to connect to have a follow-up meeting based on that conversation. And so I didn't translate outcome into my business until years later when I finally had this little bit of epiphany because I know what I deliver. And sometimes we get so caught up in our thing, we forget about their thing and their thing's more important than our thing. Yeah, I, I say this over and over. We know so much about what we sell, but I have talked with, and at Miller Hyman, I talked with 250 consultants who between them had talked to a quarter million salespeople, a quarter million opportunities. Salespeople, salespeople know what they sell, but they have no clue what a customer thinks they're buying. Well, so it's, it's not just you, Adam, it's, <laughs> it's everybody. And the funny thing is I do this for a living, right? right? I can spot it in my clients immediately. Yeah. But sometimes it takes someone else to help you spot it in yourself. And, you know, one of the weirdest things about sales and because we know so much about our thing and we know in almost all walks of life, unless you're selling a very specialized thing, you know, it's if you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. But we get into this mode of what do you do? And you tell people what it is you do, what you sell. And then you spend the rest of the time explaining why it is that they should have this. But we, what we give them is an opportunity to formulate their own opinion in second one. And then we try and undo that opinion for the rest of the sales process. <laughs> exactly. And so uh, I let call me, it. Let me start with let me start yeah. with boring you and making your eyes glaze over and telling you that you don't and letting you tell yourself you don't care about what I do. And then I'll start trying to convince you otherwise. Right. I sell fertilizer. Great. Most people in the world aren't buying fertilizer. But not to get too sort of fluffy, but I help people beautify their homes and all of the surroundings around them. That's what I do. Really? How do you do that? Well, I do it through asking people to look out their window. What are they looking at? What would they like to see different? How would they like it to look more beautiful? And right now I'm looking at my grass, right? I'm in Arizona, so it's dying a little bit because it gets afternoon sun 110. But if I want that to be, would, it, would you like it greener? Of course I'd like it greener. Can you water it? Of course I can water it. Well, I have a product that does exactly that. It's fertilizer, right? So if <laughs> the outcome I want is a beautiful thing to look at, the fact that it's fertilizer, it could be green beans. It yeah. could be rock. You know, there could be so many things. I don't care about what the thing is until I know that I'm going to have a beautiful view. My mentor, Bob Miller, used to... He, he, 
he told the whole company who then told the world, you don't know what to sell until you know what your customer wants to buy. Right. And that, I mean, it's simple, but man, is it, it, it says easy does hard is the saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, we get into that mode. We get excited about our thing. That's why, that's why we do it. There's a lot of ways everyone listening can make money in this world, but they chose a particular thing. And so they're excited to tell people about that particular thing. And we need to change that. And that's part of what I do with my clients. It's not coming and saying your sales process is bad or your operations are bad or your staff is bad. It's, all right, what would you like? I'd like more sales. I'd like a more streamlined process. I'd like to have everybody on the same page, right? Those are what my clients want. And I build a plan to help them do it. On the sales side of it, it's really easy to find out what people want. And you don't have to be salesy about it. It's one simple question. What would make your life better? Yep. So um, great conversation. And you know that we could keep going. But uh, <laughs> how can, pe how can people uh, reach out to you and learn more about what you do, Adam? Yeah. So uh, coachwithak.com is my website. Coachwithak.com. Got a lot of free resources out there. Um, schedule a time. Um, and let's just jump on a call. One of the things that I firmly believe is that I can change anybody's business or life with one question, one idea, or one conversation. And it doesn't always work, but that's the way I go into conversation. So if you have something you need to do, you want to do, you're trying to do for your business, let's start with one idea. If you like me, we'll keep talking. But I know that one idea or one question, one conversation will make your life better. So that's one way. Also, my podcast, The Entrepreneur's MBA with Adam Kipnis, I have conversations with business owners just like you on what they went through to grow their business to a million dollars or more. Those are the two best ways. And I'm the only Adam Kipnis on social media. So if you type in Adam Kipnis, I'm going to be the guy that comes up. And Kipnis is with a K. K-I-P-N-E-S. Great. All right, Adam, thanks, man. It's uh, been a great conversation and I wish we had more time. Thanks, Mark. I appreciate it. Um, and hopefully we can do it again in, in a lots of other ways because uh, you and I could talk for hours Absolutely. about these things. Absolutely. And thanks, everybody, for joining us on the Value Clarity Podcast, where we remind you that value only exists in your customer's mind, which means that business is a lot more like brain surgery than you thought. Thanks and have a high value day. Well, it ain't easy because value's in your buyer's brain. If you're selling on only your features, you're going to drive over you insane. And if you ignore your customers' outcomes, you're bound to be paying your dues because you'll be singing those old don't know value blues. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>